Welcome to Leadership Unleashed. Today's leaders must be experts in emotional intelligence, the art of persuasion, and masters of motivation. Each week, you'll hear hints and tips to help you develop confidence, build your identity, and your skills as a leader. Here's your host, authentic leadership expert, Leslie Hunter. Hi, and welcome to the show. This is Leadership Unleashed. So this is the show where we focus on the leader. We unleash the individual, the person at the heart of this process from the process itself. So leadership is a process. Leaders are people. And I'm going to be talking today to somebody who I know shares that view, because I know that not just from a previous conversation that we've had, but also from his websites, his LinkedIn profile and so on. So I'm talking today to Sid. So Sid, Sid Niven, welcome to the show. Hi, good to uh, connect with you again, Leslie. Yeah, it's great to speak to you because Sid, we, we actually, we don't know each other very well at all, really, but we did meet at an event at, um, was it Sunderland University? Sunderland Uni for CIPD. CIPD. So for for people who don't know that, that's the Chartered Institute of Personnel and Development. And yeah, I was speaking, I I think I was talking about my research at the time and where I was looking very much at what does it actually take to be effective as a leader in practice. And I know that's something that from your websites and your profiles, Sid, that I I think we share a lot of of similar views. So at, at the moment, you... You're the managing director. You're MD of an organisation called Northern Growth Academy. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And that that's a learning and development organisation for leaders and managers. So, what does that involve? Training, coaching, mentoring. What 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 do yeah. you do? Um, NGA is actually an ILM accredited centre. So we do deliver. Uh, ILM programs for leadership and management training, coaching and mentoring. Being the UK's uh, Institute of Leadership Management, yeah. It's a global qualification. Yeah. Uh, I think we have a very different take to the normal curriculum-based week-in, week-out, hard slog over a year. Um, what we do is, in fact, work with individuals and small groups so that we're not just providing the modules that they need to gain the qualification, but we also work with individuals and groups to provide them a personalized coaching and mentoring package alongside that. Ah, so, right. So that it's a transformational experience rather than just a learning experience. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad you said that because I've, I'm on record <laughs> um, as, as saying quite categorically, leadership development doesn't work. Uh, oh, fantastic. <laughs> but, um, Way back in, in uh, oh gosh, the mid-2000s, uh, I, I was uh, a tutor at Newcastle College. I was doing the Chartered Institute of Personal Development Certificate and Training Practice Program. Whilst doing that course, I was actually saying to trainers, you must understand that training on its own doesn't work. Great. You must Great. kind yeah. of connect with managers. You must connect with, with leaders so that the training can be carried through by coaching, mentoring, support, so that people have an opportunity to actually embed their new thinking yeah. and embed their new practice. Without that, you will have a real problem justifying your existence. Now, you know, so many times I hear, peop- I hear people say things like that, but you and I both know there are an awful lot of organisations and individual trainers out there who still 
do justify their existence by basically thinking as long as I deliver the curriculum and as long as I, the trainer, impart my so-called knowledge to you, I've done my job. Now, that makes me very uncomfortable. And I'm guessing from, from what you've said already that you're, you're going to share that view, that that's only the tip of the iceberg. I mean, that's only just really the, the start of a genuine developmental process for an individual, particularly if they're making a transition from being a manager to a leader. Absolutely. I think what we've done historically in our culture, in Western cultures in general, is that we've majored on the cognition. We've majored on the information. And the idea yeah. is if we give people the information, that they will somehow miraculously get it and then be able to do things with that. Now, I think that might be true for a very small number of people. I think for most people, information on its own doesn't make the difference. Yeah. And an awful yeah. lot of people, and I've done this myself, where you know things in your mind. But actually, it's a very different story on the ground. Uh, so the way that that, is, that information is then worked through and applied requires, I think, some very interesting internal dynamic changes before it can become common practice. And we often talk about the four stages of learning, how we go from that place where we are unconsciously... Yeah, yeah. ...don't know what we don't know. Yeah. And then we discover that there's lots of stuff we don't know. And the process to, give, to go through... to for that to become unconscious competence often needs support and additional input that can keep them focused and keep them on track. Yeah, and it's that middle middle phase for people who, who may not really understand what we're talking about there. I mean, we go from the unconscious incompetence, which is a really nice place to be, i.e., I don't know what I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I'll just be an ostrich. I don't know what I don't know. Um, for instance, I am completely and totally unconsciously incompetent about being a lion tamer or a snake charmer. And you know what? That is going to stay that way <laughs> through I'm, choice. I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that. I'm not becoming a lion tamer. Yeah. Um, but then at the other end of this spectrum, we've got what you mentioned, which is unconscious competence. And that's where something you're so competent at something that you you almost do it unconsciously but to me that can also have some dangers because that can be habitual and we can have some 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 bad habits as well as some good habits but it's that middle bit isn't it yeah. where people have to go through and that's where you go through the pain barrier the learning stage where you become consciously aware of just how much you don't know yes and you have to make a choice at that stage. Some people will make the choice of, okay, you know what, I'm putting this in the too hard pile and I'm, you know, I don't want to go there. And that's when I hear an awful lot of excuses. And that's where people will say to me, oh, well, it's not my fault, it's my team or my manager won't let me do this. Or there's always another reason or another factor that they will bring in. Um, whereas... What I believe genuinely is, you know what, you either go through that pain barrier, you take the challenge and you go with it and you learn, or you choose not to. I, I, I think what you're raising there, Leslie, is this, this whole idea of, of why do I want to be involved in that painful process? For yeah, me, see, when, I, when I was a teenager, I wanted to learn to play the guitar and, um, you know, I pleaded with my parents to buy me a guitar of course they didn't so I saved up to buy one I went through the pain in fact I remember times when my fingers bled because I would spend that many hours working on it but now, there was passion there obviously as well absolutely and and um, 
yeah, you know, I, I I played guitar and did concerts and gigs and stuff. Wow. Yes, but but I think what was interesting was when it came, I mean I'd love to be able to play the piano, but I don't want to embrace the pain of that. <laughs> yeah. I would like yeah. just to be able to sit down and play it. Yeah. And 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 just for the magic to happen, and I think. Um, there's something around motivation. Why do I want to learn this? Do, why do I value the, the effort? What is it about this particular thing that I need to focus on that somehow is going to capture me enough? Now, I think what's interesting for a lot of leaders that I've worked with is they only ever really start asking those questions when they're in trouble. Right. I was, I was just about to say that. Um, I, I was going to pick up on two things there. First of all, you were saying that you, you went through this pain barrier, guitar and so on, but that was because you wanted to do it. Now, I know lots of leaders who are in leadership positions but didn't actually want to do it in the first place. And I still, I still have a battle regularly with some HR departments saying promoting somebody into a leadership role is not necessarily a reward. <laughs> you know, people think you've been in the organization for 10 years. What can we do? Oh, we'll make you a leader. You know, and, and that is not necessarily, a, you know, a good HR strategy, let alone a talent management strategy. Absolutely. So the other thing you said there, though, was that people really only embrace that when they're in trouble or when, when for the first time, they suddenly realize, hang on a minute, there's something here and I don't know the answer or I don't have all the answers. Yeah. And for a leader, that can be really quite a harsh reality, can't it? Well, I think, again, there's a historic myth that because you're a leader, you're meant to know stuff. Yeah. And you're meant to be an expert in your field. But... When you think about the complexities of modern leader roles, you know, people are not just expected to be practitioners um, who have a particular craft. They also are meant to be able to deal with HR issues. And whilst organizations may have departments, managers and leaders very often have to be... They're frontline. Uh, They're the frontline, aren't they? Yeah. Very complex web of, of information and practice to protect themselves, to protect their organizations and to protect their staff. Mm. So I think to a large extent, I think what leaders need to be able to do always along the line is to be able to say, I don't know about this. I'm not an expert in this. Um, however, I have access to, I have contact with people who are. If that's the case, and you and I as both um, seasoned practitioners in this field of coaching and development and working with managers and leaders in a whole range of, of different organizational types, structures, and so on. Why then are we still seeing this, these issues of um, organizations identifying leadership capability, leadership capacity, effective leaders, why are we seeing all of these still being raised by people like Forbes, McKinsey's, you know, PricewaterhouseCooper, the really big guns in the consultancy market globally, and saying these, this is, these are still in our top three key issues facing organizations today. Why aren't we getting any better? I, I think... It's, it's interesting because I think when we look at our Western models in particular, I think we, we're in a very, for me, fascinating transitional stage. I think there are a lot of things that still exist, that still have the appearance of working, but they're not. 
Can you give me an example? Well, I think some organisations have a momentum, they have a scale that, that, that can give the illusion of success without really being successful. When I talk about success, when we talk about whether people are really inwardly happy and content and fulfilled in doing what they are gifted for, yeah. And I think about people in leadership. I know I, I get to, to spend time with people who come to see me because they've attained their level uh, or they've been given areas of responsibility, but they're stressed out of their heads. They're desperately unhappy. Their families are suffering. Yes. They might have all of the appearance of of success the trimmings and so on but actually uh, so it's a bit of a it's it's a bit of a facade or a mask i think there is a facade i also think that there is a change going on you know we've now got four generations in the workplace i think we've got a younger generation coming through one of my passions is investing in the next generation uh-huh. i think a lot of people my age i'm 64 they're not really listening to the kind of things that they need to be listening to now that's that's an interesting concept because I mean we hear about generation X Y Z you know whatever but not only do they think differently and operate differently but they live at a different pace yeah. um, they communicate entirely differently I mean talk about multitasking in terms of their communication strategies sure. but they they have different expectations. Yes. Now that that does lead me into an area that I know you've got a lot of experience in because you've you previously spent about 9 years as a specialist in workplace conflict. Mm. Um I'm very interested in your perception of first of all what conflict is and whether where it has a place and whether it has a place in the workplace or is all conflict bad? Um, the, the easy answer to the last piece is all conflict bad. The answer is no. Mm-hmm. However, whenever you ask groups, I, I quite often, well, I don't do it so much nowadays, but I used to do workshops on conflict and conflict resolution. Um, and whenever you ask people to put down their initial thoughts, impressions about conflict, the vast majority of the words would, that, that would be used would have a negative connotation. Yeah, could, I, could, I, I can imagine that, yeah. Over 80-odd words, and probably four or five of them would have a positive lean. Um, and I think for a lot of people, their history, their personal journey has, has been conflict is bad for me. I think for a lot of people, they've not had life experiences of the positive aspect or they've not been able to look at their histories of conflict and seen that actually good things have come out of that. Mm-hmm. Quite often in conflict, there if, if, if it's handled in an appropriate way, then it actually can be a highly creative time. Because exactly. people have to start thinking differently because what was happening before wasn't working. So you then start introducing ideas of innovation and looking for, for creative options that can give people a better future. But and that me- creative process is something that for some people... They're, they're not always consciously aware that they're doing it. Yeah. Now, now, you see, to me, conflict means you've got a difference. 
you can have conflicting views but it doesn't necessarily mean you've got to you know come to blows or have some kind of actual disagreement it just means there is a difference between what maybe I think and what somebody else thinks and and sometimes I mean oh if everybody agreed with me that would be so boring you know you to me you need that you need that difference you need that spark you need that creativity because that's where ideas come from that's where where different perspectives and points of view that perhaps I haven't seen because I'm only seeing things through my my frame of reference you know my lens my version of reality now when I work with individuals who talk about conflict typically it would mirror what you've just said there they tend to be looking at it as a with a negative connotation but I take people back and ask them to look at what I call crucible events or crucible moments trigger events things that have happened from which they have had a, a really positive good learning experience and typically they will choose a situation where there was conflict. But that means that one of the consequences is powerful opportunity to learn. Um, And it it, it follows on from what I was saying earlier on, that for a lot of people, they only learn new things when what they have known in the past isn't working anymore. So I I think it is a powerful learning opportunity if people are provided with um, the context or the opportunity to think about that. I was doing some training with a group of, of leaders in an organization, and, and one of them, uh, it was quite interesting, it's a production business, uh, it's a manufacturing business, and in many ways there are strong old school elements in that. You know, okay. it's a natural kind of culture. Yeah, uh, the, the I can picture it. <laughs> the senior leader said to, this manager, said to this manager, go down there and rip that guy's head off. Mm. You know, that sort of language isn't particularly helpful. Um, but there's an idea underneath it which is even more worrying, frankly. Yeah. Yeah. But what it was about was these, these employees were, um, they had access to a tool cupboard. And they would take the tools, and when they finished using them, they'd put them in their drawer so they could be there for them. Hang hang on a minute, though. Hang on a minute. This is explaining an awful lot of things, because my husband does exactly that in the kitchen. You know, he's the only person I know who, to, for instance, make an omelette, needs six pots, three pans, two whisks, and every plate and knife and fork in the house. And he never puts anything back where it should be. And he's constantly losing, he's known for constantly losing his keys. And he'll say to me, do you know where are my keys? And I'm thinking, well, where did you put them? Because I know where they should be. So, I mean, I've got a little bit of sympathy there with that manager. Come on, if the, tool, if the rule is the tools go in the cupboard, the tools should be in the cupboard, not the drawer. But it's interesting because what the, what the manager was, was, he was clearly frustrated about this. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, and of course, there are, rules, there are rules. And they all have instructions. They've been told they have to do this. And I said, the problem that you're, 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 the, 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 you've got here is you're trying to solve it by giving him information and boundaries. Yeah, yeah. What you've got to recognise is change is an emotional thing. Yes. And the reason why he's putting the tool in the drawer is it's an emotional issue. Yeah. He doesn't trust his colleagues. He doesn't trust that they'll put it back on the rack, so he wants it to be there for him when he needs it. He's saying he's more important than they are, and it's all about values. So, so let's... unless you tackle it at that level... Yeah. 
Now, I have a problem. Now, I mean, I've I've done a lot of work in this area in the past, but I've. I am a, a firm, firm believer that the values that sit at the core, um, not just of an individual, but of an organization, will make or break the, that, that organization. And if your core values are different to the values of the team in which you are operating and different then in the bigger picture of the, the, you know, the context of the whole organization, that's when, that's when problems start. But you were talking earlier about you know, four generations in the workplace. Do you think that we are seeing a value shift across those generations? Do you think that's something that's starting to influence or impact in, in terms of developing leaders? I think, I think we are seeing a major shift in values. I think, and, and in many ways it's subtle. Some of it's driven by technology. And I think there are changes that are taking place structurally, but underneath the structural shifts, I think there are values. People are, I think, and young people in particular, are much more concerned about relationships yes. than structures. Yes. They're much more um, concerned about communication than um, the normal kind of rule-bound um, ideas. I think they're much more flexible about about ideas of right and wrong. I. I, I, I do think, though, that there are some things that are helpful and there are some things that are harmful. Yes. And I think what young people are doing is they're wrestling with trying to find some kind of cohesive map that is relevant to them and to their world because it's very different to the world that, that I was certainly brought up in. Absolutely. And, uh, and But again, it's about values. It's about what's important to them. And I think it's very interesting I think when we look at what's happening with young people in, in, in politics, for instance, in Scotland and in the UK, you know, they're, they're, they're looking for authenticity. They're looking for honest, I, honesty. They're looking for openness and sharing yeah. ideas. It's all they're about trust and confidence, all, it's isn't it? It's all about trust. Yeah. And what it does is it challenges the very fabric of many of our established institutions and organisations and businesses yes so what, what what's the answer then because again i mean i was reading a recent article and i think it was i can't remember actually it might be forbes it might be in harvard business review but they were basically saying that that generation that that new generation is starting to move into positions of responsibility and influence as leaders and that this is going to in effect be a not so much a tidal wave as you say it can be very subtle but it is going to bring change so f from the perspective of somebody who's worked with leaders you know across the board for a period of time what would you say would be a key top tip to somebody who is in that younger generation now and is either aspiring to be a leader or is, is very soon going to be stepping into their first role as a leader? What, what would you say would be a key message that you would want to give them, something practical that they could, they could actually either go and do or implement or certainly think about? I think, I think there are a number of things. One is I think that there has to be a genuine, a genuine commitment to, to learning. Mm -hmm. um, and I, but I would say that to any generation. Yeah. I, I think that's something that's key. I think the other thing is, I think engagement is absolutely crucial. What do you mean by engagement? That's about being willing to sit down and, and, and share ideas, talk things through, and, and, and learn how to put things into a melting pot and come out with 
something that might look a little bit different to what you started with. Right. And I, okay. so I, I think that idea of engagement, again, it needs to be transcultural in terms of the age groups. Yeah. I think it needs to be transcultural in that there are, um, I, I have a friend who owns a, 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 a in, she, she's, she's, based in Shanghai. She she owns the equivalent, I guess, of Starbucks in China. And and uh, fascinating lady. But the way the way she runs business um, would frighten many of the people that I know in the West. <laughs> Why? What 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 um, is it that she does? Well it, there's just a wholesome work ethic, um, a commitment to developing staff mm-hmm. that is genuine. It's not about hierarchy. Um, but but there's there's a way that she's she's working that produces huge loyalty from the people right. that she's working with because okay. essentially she's for them. She's recognizing their value and they're recognizing her value. So it is very much about that that partnership, partnership and that interaction, as you yeah. say, that engagement between the leader and the the, the followers uh, or the individuals. Okay, so I you think the thing, Leslie. What I would also kind of stress, and I but I think this is also key in a lot of the areas where I, I work with people, be it individually or, or even in, in in workshops or training groups or uh, working with groups of leaders. And I sometimes sit with boards and so on, is to provide a, a, a safe context. Where, where people feel safe enough to actually share their inner struggles in the processes of change. Or without it in some way being perceived that this could then come back to bite me or be used as ammunition at, yes, at, at yes. some stage. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And sometimes the price for some people... Um, I had a guy on the phone from an organisation that I work with in Scotland who who was was basically... Um, stressing over whether he should raise an issue that he knew was contentious. Mm-hmm. What, I want, I want to raise it, but but if I do, I, I'm, I'm afraid I might end up compromising my own integrity if if I have to just buy what they say to me. Wow! And a very interesting stuff. And a lot of it is about you know, can we how do we create safe spaces where people can genuinely go I'm going to put this out there and know that it's okay because I care about the people around me I care about the organization and without this piece actually I think there's going to be a huge Catastrophe. Do you know? Do you know, Sid? You've you've touched on. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm just watching the time. I can't believe that we've been talking for over half an hour now. Um, but you you've raised. Okay, they may just appear as key words in, in the way I'm going to present this. But I started by saying I'd been doing the research into you know a framework looking at what are the the key influences, the factors, and the the behaviours that an effective leader needs. And the the four key factors that influence I identified were values, right at the heart of it, context, which you've mentioned, the situation, i.e. the the very precise nature of the, the situation or the issue at the time. And the fourth one was, looking at this from a leader's perspective, was the followers, i.e. the followers, values, perceptions, engagement, and so on. Uh, so we, we've, you've, in effect, to a certain extent, validated, I hope, and agreed with, with my four in overarching factors. Um, but some of the key dimensions and elements that I identified underpinning effective leader behavior was integrity, 
which you've mentioned, relationships, um, accountability, which although you haven't actually used that word, you know, we've, it, that's been coming through very strongly about people being accountable for their own thoughts, their own actions, and for their own points of view, which might be different. Yeah. Yes? And, and many others, you know, understanding somebody's role, the expectations, the boundaries, etc. So one, one final question to you then. If, if you were sitting in an, if you were looking at an organization now that had these four generations in its, um, you know, in its em employee pool and in its talent pool, how would you support the more senior leaders? And by senior leaders, I'm talking about the people who've been in the organization and are at the higher levels in the organization who typically are probably going to be of the older generation. We've talked about a tip for the younger generation. What would you say to those people who um, maybe are being a little bit more resistant to change and to, to that development? And maybe uh, I might be doing some of them a disservice, but I know an awful lot of them who think, been there, done it, haven't got a lot left to learn. I, I, I think the, the, the reality of it is the world is changing. Yes. And what has worked in the past is not necessarily going to transfer across into the future. So I think, I think that's the first message. The world is changing. I think there's a massive amount of investment that needs to be um, given to leadership pipelines, actually preparing mm -hmm. the future. Yeah. And that's about people. That's about people development. So I think creating contexts, and again, I think that word is so important, contexts and cultures where people can, can genuinely share ideas and work together. Now, that may mean that there are some established people who will feel very vulnerable. And threatened, their ideas yes. need to be challenged. And, and uncomfortable, yeah. And, and, and it is uncomfortable. Um, and sometimes it requires a level of humility that for some people who've been doing a job for many, many years, they may not have yet acquired. Um, but doesn't so it take us straight back, though, into that middle section of that, that, that continuum we were talking about, where we said that's where learning takes place? Yes. Where it is uncomfortable, but at that point, bluntly, the bottom line is you've got a choice. Somewhere in this, though, Leslie, there, need to, there needs to be some key players who can somehow facilitate some of the process. Right. I think, I think there are people, and, and ideally there need to be people who sit in the C-suite who are able, um, maybe they're pioneers. I, I heard a lovely quote years ago that, that went like this, one step ahead, you're a leader. Two steps ahead, you're a pioneer. Three steps ahead, you're a martyr. So I, th I think there's a lot of wisdom that's necessary. And I'd love to chat about wisdom as, a, as, as, a, as an idea because I think, I think it's one of the greatest needs that people have in life as well as in business. And I think, I think though, that, that there needs to be someone who can facilitate the process and hold the different groups together so that that creative process can happen. Right. And you've said you've said repeatedly that, you know, that needs to happen in a safe place. But you've you've raised another couple of issues there. And um, 
Unfortunately, we are out of time, but you've talked about uh, character and wisdom and two key phrases, again, that jumped out of your website that we haven't had time to discuss today are understanding your wealth of character and your inner wisdom and being able to bring those together. So, uh, so Sid, simple question. Those two areas, I think they would be of great interest, wealth of character and inner wisdom. What does it mean to a leader? Um, how do you capture that? How do you then actually use that in a, a, an organisational context? Would you be prepared to come back and talk to me about that? I'd love to. Fantastic. Yeah, big themes for me. Brilliant. Well, that's a date, OK? okay. That's a date. <laughs> And we, we will do that. But in the meantime, Sid, you've given us so much there to think about that um, I'm going to go away now and tidy up the kitchen and not cause any further conflict with my husband over his, uh, his culinary skills. So you Sid... just accept it. You just have <laughs> way of doing kitchen. Yeah. So, Sid, thank you for that, for your insights. Absolutely brilliant. And I'll speak to you again soon. OK, Leslie. Thanks very much. Thanks. Bye. Now. Bye. Thanks for listening today. For more information about Leslie and her book, Who Put You in Charge? Go to lesliehunter.com. There you can also join the pack, a free membership group where you'll receive regular hints and tips from Leslie, as well as access to some great leadership resources. So how are you doing as a leader? See how you measure up by downloading Leslie's free iPad app, the Effective Leader Scoreboard, available on iTunes. We'll see you next week for another edition of Leadership Unleashed. 